0: I'm Alistair Wilcock, Chief Strategy and Revenue Officer here at Revenue I.O. Howard Brown is out today solving the problems of revenue science for many people around the world. But I'm delighted to have with us Todd Kane, the president of Evolved Management. Todd, you've had a fantastic career and run for, well, let's just say a couple decades now. And uh, you know, working at national telecommunications companies, you've worked as in the service integrator space, in the managed services field as well. You've seen a lot in terms of your background and interaction with you know companies that have been in the oil and gas sector, manufacturing sector, finance, you know, all, all across. And I know you're very big in terms of some of the data analysis and how that is used to drive decision making which of course is very germane to now this new future and where we are for many companies in the RevOps world, right? How do I use data to inform a decision? And then a, a decision that right now for many companies is you know, how do I not just predict what's gonna happen with my revenue for tomorrow, but how do I stabilize what I have and, and, and really emphasize and know exactly where I need to go as an organization? So welcome. To our RevOps podcast, Todd, we're thrilled to have you with us. Awesome to be here. Thanks, Alistair. So, Todd, when you think of you know, it, it, it's again, it's a common theme we're all seeing right now. You only need to check out every single headline every day. You know, there's a lot of rationalization going on in the market, bar not, Right? From you know, uh, Goldman Sachs just did a big layoff the other day. We saw everybody knows what's going on in the tech sector. You're seeing companies taking advantage of right sizing. Um, overall, but one of the keys in RevOps is to support decision-making. What what should people focus on right now? Like how do you approach that as an enterprise and go and say, all right,
1: improve what we were doing and make it a lot better than what we were doing six months ago, because the world shifted a lot. Right. Absolutely. No, I, I love data. Um, You know, I worked in this organization where uh, the owner was also uh, a bit of a data junkie and we literally had dashboards that sat over top of each of the departments so that as we walked the floor kind of checking things out and, and chatting with people, you could just glance up and everyone, all the data was exposed and everyone could walk by and see how that department was doing on the daily and the weekly. Uh, so um, that was a great experience and just understanding on an hour by hour, day by day basis, how data can inform both the activity of the people working in those, those groups, but also uh, where and when management can get involved. And I think, uh, you know, management, even certainly from a sales side, they need to protect their energy and uh, make sure that they're spending time in the appropriate places with the appropriate people on the appropriate things. And what I love about data is is, uh, I think how it's often misunderstood or misapplied. Like a lot of people tend to think that data is there to provide answers for you. And that's somewhat true, but I think the better power of data is actually helping you to uh, ask better questions, All right? So you can be informed by what is the data that I'm seeing? How is that align with an expectation of what I think I should see? And that provides you the opportunity to do what I call managing by exception, right? So there's a band that I expect that this data, this number should sit in. And when it's inside or outside of that number, what does that tell me? What do I have as some type of gut sense or uh, an informed idea of what that's telling me? Who should I go speak to and ask more questions to dig in a little deeper? So it's this uh, managerial detective hat that you put on and, uh, and start to ask a bunch of questions and determine, do I, know, do I think I, what's happening here is what's happening? Uh, and if so, who do I uh, sort of work with, apply some energy, provide some support to in order to make sure that that, that that group is on track, right? And it's much better to do this in a proactive fashion. And the other part that I think people get wrong with, with utilizing data is focusing too much on lag measures, right? So how did we do last quarter is instructive as to whether or not you met goal but if you say how did we do this week with a a lead measure and what does that it tell me as a as a prediction for how we're actually going to end up through the course of the week therefore through the course of the month and then to the quarter so it's a lot easier to align to your goals if you're focusing on them as you go rather than trying to reflect on them in the past and saying what went wrong right well it's kind of too late to change that so was, okay, some of my initial thoughts of uh, how data is, is incredibly useful in any capacity for any group, regardless of where they work in the business. So, so I'm with you, but I also want to lay out the challenge I think a lot of our audience
0: deals with, and certainly when I was with Gartner, we encountered often when we say, hey, you should use data to drive actionable insights, right? This is ultimately what it should do. But you know, when you, when you look at actually how people do it, 76% of all people use data to track against goals. Now, that's so terrible. You're going to say, I had a goal to do X. How am I doing? That's fantastic, right? Like, okay, at least at least I know. I, I can track and see what I did yesterday. That's, that's what that does. What's interesting is even that level, 42% of people say, I'm actually only kind of satisfied with the data I'm getting off of that. So less than half of that three quarters are saying, hey, I, it's actually helping me in a demonstrable way. And then you look at the next piece and go, where you were kind of going is, hey, you got to analyze the past also to understand the future. You sit there and go another about 51% of people say, hey, look, I really would like to use actionable intelligence to actually compare past performance with current performance. So I can see what deltas are and start to see where I'm going. Okay, good. That, that's, that's a decent step. But only thirty-eight percent are satisfied with that data. And then you sit there and go and say, okay, there, the final piece, which is, hey, how do you actually help me make a forward-looking decision? Like are you actually supporting what's going tomorrow? Because a lot of leadership and management often takes all of the data in the and the dashboards go, okay, that's really interesting. But here's what I think we should do. And the data scientists say, like, Well, hold on. Like it just showed you everything and you're you're now just making this decision. Okay, so that, that right there of that, the confidence people have of that is around 41%, actually higher than I would think. But it is in terms of the importance of that happening in an organization, using data to drive a decision only happens 13% of the time. So effectively, most data is used to simply go, Tell me how I did yesterday, and then let the whippings continue around the process to make sure the process delivers for us. But look, we're sitting in a world right now where you know, yesterday's performance is very different from today's market. So how do you take the data? And you you've lived in a lot of the ops world. How would you as an operator of the data actually get into making an actionable insight to support a forward-looking decision? Like what, any, any tips or tricks there?
1: Well, I think part of the, I suppose the trick, and I think what you're alluding to is that there's the subjective and objective sort of situation that, that a leader will will focus on this. And I think it depending on sort of the behavioral profile of a particular person, they will feel more comfortable to leverage on their gut and their experience and what they think is correct, regardless of what the data is telling them. And there are other people that will lean more exclusively on the data and, you know, feelings are not uh, particularly interesting to them. Uh, so, like, there's there's definitely a, a condition as to whether or not uh, one side of the subjective and the objective is influential right. Right, to whoever that leader is, and whether or not that aligns with the rest of the team. So, as with most things, it depends, right? And I think the... There's always going to be a lever of the subjectiveness and whether or not you feel that the past performance is indicative of what will happen in the future, right? So there's always this this dance or this marriage between that subjective and objective data. And that's why I say, like, you know, I come from, from a history also way back of ERP implementations. I was a systems uh, implementer for an ERP integrator. Uh, for SAP, and what I often saw for people that were rolling out SAPs as, as a as an ERP, was that people and the executives tend to focus too much on the reporting, and that was basically gospel as to what was happening inside the organization, and that's not really that helpful. Like it, it should again, it should be used as. A, a learning function and it's it's levered for being informative but there's still the subjectiveness of what do i think personally about what i'm reading what am i hearing from my team and from my leaders and all of those things need to be factored in and do you weight one thing versus another it does it change from circumstance to circumstance i think it absolutely does and to one of your earlier questions is, uh, you know, what it, what's changing given the environment and questioning what the future looks like through current economy, uh, the economy is acting in a certain way. And, you know, uh, uh, there, there are lots of conflicting metrics about what the future actually will start to play out as. One of the things from a sales perspective, I, I tend to tell people around this is that it's much easier to increase share of wallet and draw a larger Revenue capture from your existing client base than it is to find net new clients so I spend a lot of time in in the managed service industry and Organizations that are looking to grow they want to add additional top-line revenue. That's great Like you want to grow as an organization, but if you have high churn low efficiency and It takes you three to six months to capture a new client versus going to an existing client adjusting their contract to whatever their current situation is because you haven't looked at it in eight months or you uh, sit down, discuss with them about their future plans, you sell them a project or some additional services. That takes a couple of weeks maybe to close that sale versus the the hunting of looking for additional top line revenue. So I, I think there's there's all these ways to kind of think about this about, What is our strategy? What does the data tell us? I'm not gonna treat that as literal, but I need it to to be a factor that we contribute to our sort of consensus model of of what is important to us. What do we think is happening? What does the data tell us? How much do we wanna put weight into that? And therefore, what is our strategy? I I am fortunate as I tend to interact with a lot of ops leaders and
0: senior leaders, execs, and things like that through my journey from this last uh, many years. I'll tell you, there's there's a consistent theme you always see when you get into this particular conversation on data, and all your points are, are bang on, but they're often, again, difficult for people to pull together. And the first one goes into the standardization of the tools, the reporting, and the data itself. That's hardly a revolutionary statement. It's hardly a provocative statement. But if I need to understand the remaining total value of contracted business, when it's predicted to churn or renew, and I want to proactively create actions around that to either renew or create upsell, cross-sell opportunities, which is what you're laying out there. You often find that, well, finance knows one thing, customer success is watching another number, sales often isn't even tracking that number depending on the compensation structures and what they're required to do. And so you you immediately have, you know, a disconnect within the silos of the business, right? So first step for anybody in this world is the standardization is critical. And and again, that's not new, but it is quite hard to do. What tends to happen when people solve for that though is they go buy a tool. Right? They're gonna go buy a tool to actually drive the standardization of all their other tools. And that leads into issue number two that happens all of the time, and we ran into this gardener left, right, and center when I was there, you you would sit there and go, there's shadow analytics. So what happens there is tools start replicating data sets off, and you got your CRM system or your ERP system, and there's a tooling running across that, you're pulling off shadow analytics, you're not now getting the real-time insights. So now you have people doing bespoke work on that data because they kind of think they know their area, but you start getting disconnects in the business. And the moment you have that, you have a confidence issue around the data and due to the shadow analytics going on. And then number three, which is, you said this, and this is it worth everybody hearing again? Most of if we've solved one and two, right? So I've put in consistency of tooling. I've stopped shadow analytics. What comes with that? The big G word. What's the G word? Governance. Governance is good, but when you actually get into the regional based leadership, so you move down out of the C-suite, you move down to functional where rubber's hitting the road. Most of that leadership says, Well, it's all like it's, it's kind of okay, Todd, but it doesn't really adapt to my region. It doesn't adapt to the environment that my team's dealing with in this way. So it's like I'm good. I'm kind of glad the company knows the big picture, but the picture I deal with every day is slightly different. And so how can you adapt that said into what I need functionally day-to-day? And, and, and those are kind of the big three buckets of things that most ops people and, and leaders I chat with, they go, I struggle with that. Like I, I need the consistency. I don't want shadow analytics. I need to regionally contextualize. But it's hard. It's difficult, right? It's, it's a, without just kind of jamming everything into there, putting a, a
1: governance process is too restrictive in, how, how do we deal with that? Thoughts? Uh, I think it is difficult. I think there's a, also a necessity for not shadow analytics as in like I'm pulling from completely different sources or you know I'm using a different tool that uses a com- completely separated database, for example. But, um, and, and it, it's such a double-edged sword, right? Because like, for example, I know a lot of organizations that start experimenting a lot with Power BI. And it's, it's usable enough that kind of anybody can get into it. They'll pull the data set from wherever that came from uh, and start to manipulate that, that, that data. And then they, again, start to trust the insights that that data set and that reporting is telling them maybe a little too much. And then you end up in this, this conflict where, you know, they're saying, you know, we expect this to be the case in the future. Therefore, we don't uh, we don't expect that there's a need for a hire when you know a line manager is saying like we're flooded, everyone's at ninety percent. I don't think this is a really good play. We need more people, right? So if there's a conflict in what we what we see as the data based on that individual reporting, then that is definitely an issue. But that's not necessarily a problem of the data. Uh, I think there's some alignment that has to happen around what the insights are and being able to use that as basically. Um, like a, a use case or or some type of uh, communication vehicle around, uh, this is what I'm reading, therefore my decision is X, right? So if you're using it in an instructive fashion and trying to sort of sell that case to somebody else as to what you're trying to position, then, that, then at least it can be in context, right? But it has to be, it, that's why it can't be shadow-based, right? It, there needs to be transparency around how are you modeling this? What is the decision-making that you're doing? Because... You know, I'm sure we can all agree that that probably the most used and uh, to some extent, the most powerful intelligence tool that we have out there, unfortunately, is Excel, right? Because people will just take whatever data set, dump it into Excel and start manipulating it and building their own tables, building their own sort of array based databases, right? So uh, things always end up in Excel somehow, right? Yeah, Uh, And that's fine because people, I think, wanna tinker with some things and they want a system that provides them some level of flexibility around how they want to see, interpret or model the data that may not be available in the tool set that is default given to them by the organization. But again, we have to roll that back to, okay, that's fine, your data says X, like, why do we think that that's true? How does that compare against my model, and what do we think is is the the case to go forward, right? So, I often joke like having a meeting without any drama is a meeting not worth having. And I like getting into meetings where there's some level of disagreement, right? Otherwise, why are we here? If we all agree, there's no decision to make, right? Just send me an email. Let me know what the decision is. So you want to get into those meetings and say, here's what I think based on X, therefore the strategy is Y. And then you have a bit of debate about it, right? Like, I don't think that's true. I Market conditions suggest X. So I think we should actually pivot, go this direction. Those are the types of discussions that you want to have. Again, the the data is there to ask better questions, not to give you a default or directive answer, right? Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah, it's to
0: to support and in service off. Yeah. But always questioning that, humans are actually quite terrible at digesting multiple points of data, right? So you think of inductive versus deductive. Most people are pretty good at inductive, but they're pretty darn terrible at deductive. So when you when you look at a, you're trying to combine a macro with micro-based data decisions, uh, it often behooves companies to have this where use analytics, revenue intelligence engines, things like that can come into. To help you sip through the noise because decision bias of the nearness of what's going on in a business often leads people to a wrong decision
1: also i think like uh, to build on that is the what people weight as being important in a data set right like having those That's- common values of what do we think is is a practical point of data that that is uh, instructive right so it does come back a bit to goals, like what is our outcome? Are we trying to increase EBITDA or are we trying to increase top line? Well, the decisions around those are quite different. Yeah. And the data set and what you're concerned with as, as the data points in between are different, right? So like, there, there needs to be that commonality of what is our outcome and therefore what are the models sort of predict for us, right? Because certain individuals will naturally weight certain decisions or certain directions based on what they favor. Uh, in a data set or in a in a model, right? And and you know, HCE is is a really interesting number.
0: So human capital efficiency numbers. Um, because you're right, if I want to improve my EBITDA, I'd also want to improve my top line, those those somewhat are incongruent in with each other, but not always. So what tends to happen so says I want to grow the top line. So they invest They hire, you know, S and M functions and different things like that often is where you're gonna see the the costs come in. Or maybe it's capacity for delivery Things like that, right? So you're doing a little bit of hiring ahead of the curve because you know what's coming. Well, that naturally is going to chew up some me, but we're generally okay. We we understand that. But if you don't see an improvement in the HCE number, you know you're adding actually overhead that isn't so it's that isn't correlating to improving the bottom line performance, right? So I may actually go, well, they're working, aren't they? Look, the revenue is growing. Yes, but if the HCD number isn't also improving, we know we've added more cost relative to the revenue we're getting, and that is pulling down the previous HCE number we benchmarked against. So that's like a classic way of just looking at it and saying, hey, hold on, I have confidence around my investment or I don't. And and it allows you to see what's going on a little bit more. So it's just a way of using things that seem like they're not linked, but there's an equation you can use to simply say, ah, well, I actually can link them together. The, the other example and I'll just give to our audience because they tend to be uh, a lot of our listeners, taller in the uh, go-to-market organizations, RevOps and sales ops, a few things like that. A lot of times you go, well, "How do I how do I know my sales team is being effective?" Right? Well, people, did they sell enough? Right? Okay, it's not actually quite that simple again because we're talking leading and lagging indicators here. So if you want to understand sales effectiveness, you actually there's a simple equation you do. You take your value of sales converted and simply divided by the value of sales in pipeline, right? And if you do that, you get a sales effectiveness number. So then it goes, well, how do I then get the two categories, right? So you have conversion metrics and you have sales pipeline metrics. So a conversion metric, you're leading and lagging. So a leading conversion metric would be something like lead to opportunity conversion rate. That's a good leading conversion metric. And a lagging conversion metric would be, what's my opportunity to win conversion rate on there as well, right? So I'd lead, and then I'd opportunity. And then I might add renewal rate, and I may sit at things and go and say other things like, uh, yeah, I could look at it by stage as well. So those are just conversion metrics you're using by pipeline stage and outcome, okay? So we we have numbers associated with those things in the business. I'm gonna look at those, add them together, come up with a weighting, and I got a number out of that. Then on my pipeline side, because my pipeline helps me compare against what I have versus what I think I'm going to have. So now when I divide by my pipeline, now I'm looking going, well, classic pipeline, leading metric, how many new contacts uh, and prospects am I putting into my pipeline? Now you can't just go take a Zoom info and Dun a Bradsheet, dump it in and go, wow, pipeline's huge. Look, I added a bunch of people. Of course not. You have to look at that then, the lead generated by volume and source. Okay. So again, leading. Then we go, we need a lagging to go with it. So what's the value of the pipeline by my headcount? And how many number of new accounts am I adding by headcount correlating to a okay, leading and lagging pipeline metrics? So, so we then look at those and then we take them and, and I have all my two numbers, value of sales converted, value of sales and pipeline, divide. That's my sales effectiveness score that's a data problem. That is an ops problem. That is something you can look at any business today and go and say, conversion metrics, sales pipeline metrics, what are we using? What's my leading and lagging? Each category and divide the two, come up with a weighting system to divide it. And I go, that may sound rather complex as I just natter it all out here in two minutes, but it's not. Anybody that's in this, they're tracking a lot of these things today. It's just using them and weighting them together, and understanding how to create the divisions associated with that, that gives you a numerical output, and I can benchmark. Once I benchmark? The benchmark is what the executive team can use to say, is this working or not? And and it's okay if it's not. Wouldn't you like to know if it's not? And know before your competition, if you can know something isn't working a quarter before your competitor, that's a big deal. Right? It's not always looking for the justification. This is often looking for the, the failure as fast as the
1: justification of success. Yeah, that's, uh, it, it's, it's fascinating. Like, uh, I, I have a sort of a statement that, and then a question, this is something I'm kind of fascinated by, and I'd love your input on this is, uh, uh efficiency and effectiveness are not the same thing and they're often conflated. And I think that's a really important insight for people that are, that are modeling this stuff and trying to figure out how well utilized is the team that I have my question is the there's a, a sort of a lot of talk about four day weeks and you know uh how you maximize the the efforts of the team and for me like I, i'm i'm i know the rudimentary stuff about uh sales i'm not i've been involved and in, and in, uh, sort of been around sales but it's never really been sort of the strong suit of my career uh but i know enough about it to be dangerous and i've always suggested to owners especially kind of on the midsize and small business that Um, You know, activity precedes results. If you get results, I'm going to be less interested in what your activities are because the results are there. If your results are not there, I'm a little more curious about your activity. And that's not necessarily because I don't trust you, but it's what kind of what you suggested that. Well, maybe the messaging is wrong, right? Like if everyone's failing to sort of get the sale and, cl- and cross the line, maybe that's our fault, not yours, right? And I think that's an important distinction of sort of how you manage that team and how you're do- trying to drive results is, is being an analytical enough to understand whether or not it's a people or a process problem in some circumstances. And part of what I'm curious about is like if people are 100% effective in meeting their targets, hitting their goals, should sales managers care about how long it takes them to do that? So do I care the sort of from a traditional team management standpoint that, you know, uh, Bob put in six hours today, he's put in 35 hours this week and all is well. Uh, From a service standpoint, uh, these types of utilization metrics are often important, but I don't see that as as practical and in a lot of circumstances that, you know, if you get your work done in a day and then you're at the beach the rest of the week, maybe I don't care. Do you have an opinion on that? So effectiveness definitely trumps utilization for
0: sure, right? Or efficiency, as you said. But if somebody is effective in a period of time and it took them a day, but if that began to change, so the delta against the change, I want to know, Right, because it's often that goes into this uh, again a leading indicator opportunity for us to go and say, well, is that person remaining as effective? Like, if they're all day long able to drive the result you're required and do it in a day a week would be an extreme, but let's just say that. exactly. Yeah, it's an extreme example, but in part on purpose. Yeah. Now we're having a data discussion here, though, but I, I I I have to back out of that from a data point to an extent, right? As you you've asked me would I accept it? I I wouldn't accept it in an organization. No, of course not. Because the causality and the interpretation that everyone else has around that individual that's now at the beach four days is very different. right? They're not going to sit there and go, well, look, they knocked it out another 150% quarter and they're always hitting it. So yeah, they can do what they want. No, there is a team dynamic you always need to be cognizant of in a business and there is people largely wanting to work and build with each other in their careers. What it is, and that is a qualitative component to a business that must go with the quantitative of the data. And look, I'm, I'm big on quantifiable fact and insight. I, I, it's, I love it, but you cannot ignore qualitative with quantitative. Yep. And you're what a lot of people want to justify is well, as long as you get your work done, go do whatever you want. Is that really the case though? Like that that's a disingenuous commentary I would suggest for most organizations. Because the qualitative impact of that on, on the business to everyone else is bad. Now the counter argument would be is yes, but we're motivating everybody to do even more. And they could go live the same lifestyle as Jill, who's capable of doing that. But that isn't true either, right? Most people are not actually trying to get to 150% in their job most people rise to about 70 to 80 percent efficiency in their job in any particular area, not just sales, any area.. Yep. So you're trying to model a business that is actually capable of delivering the result at 70 to 80 percent and therefore you know what what do I need to do? right? How do I how do I keep the qualitative with the quantitative measures going on? So I'm not one that's quite ready to head off to the simplistic idea that just get your job done and do whatever you want. Because it's too self-centered. It's too individualistic. If you aren't bought enough into the concept of who you're working with and the company you're part of to want to put in and be around it, I don't really care how good you are at it. You probably shouldn't be there. Right. And I know that sounds pretty harsh, but I just I don't see a scenario where I could have Rockstar A, and I'm using the name Jill, just making it up, that is able to do all their work in a day, and then take four days off. I'm like, if, if you do that and not want to be the part of the rest of it, I'd rather have somebody that's 100% capacity and efficiency, but wants to be in the business, helping the business every day and helping their colleagues
1: in that journey as well. So that that's my view on it, right right or wrong. Yeah. So I, I think you you said like wanted to back out from, from uh, the data standpoint, but like it ended up wrapping back exactly where it was, where the, it's a measure of the qualitative and the quantitative is still important. It's it's objective and subjective, right? Like I, f- I don't feel that this is appropriate and the team has, a, there's a visible and tangible impact there regardless of what the data tells me, right? So again, it, it informs these things, but they're not to be taken literally as this is great. You can't argue with the data, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. And, and, and you,
0: you want people that use data to... Help improve the output of the business, help improve their personal performance, help improve what else we're all doing. We all use data in our lives every single day. You know, my phone tells me that I'm on it too much or I'm not on it enough. Probably, you know, Apple would say not on it enough, right? In the weekly reports and output that we all get pushed to us. Right. That that's a thing. There's fitness applications to do all of these things. But true, I can go do a huge workout tonight. I go work out six hours tonight and and I hit my I hit my number. That I want to hit for the week of output, but you know what? We also know that if I'm not daily actually breaking that down and contributing, I'm not actually going to have success. right? So it is, it is the application of the, the day-to-day that goes with all of these things that is, that is so key. Yep. And when I think of the world of sales, Todd, and I think of, again, back to the ops and the things they're struggling with, I, I would just suggest to people, if traditionally we've used ops data to push to people, right? So we've provided operational support, value through insights or heroics, right? So somebody came and said, Todd, can you give me a data model of X? Could you tell me what's going on and why? I call that value-based heroics of ops. And if it's, you know, if the focus then is also on driving adoption of the dashboards we built, right? You know, maybe. It might be okay. There's a time and place for that. But that's again. It's just an adoption thing. And and so when you're doing this, I call that the, it's an inside out approach, right? It's ops trying to push out to the world. Here's insights we have of what they need versus where the world is today. And in these market conditions, I would say you need to do the inverse of that, be outside in. So think of the interactions that we are having that create revenue. So that's often the customer interaction, right? In some way, how am I taking that interaction? And that process, and then saying, okay, based upon the interactions, what does my sales team, what do my ops team, what does everybody actually need to do? What's the data telling us that we should be doing next? So we starting with the customer, but then driving into, Hey, let's inform people around actions we can take. And then this is creating a customer driven ops organization that is really trying to take and realize the value from data in near real time. It is really trying to drive improvement of data literacy relative to the step a customer needs to take. And it is helping support the people that are on the front line of that, whether they're in ops, whether they're in a cross-sell, upsell function, a CS function, a sales function, any of those things, and say, hey, what's the challenge we think the customer is about to encounter before they encounter it? Yep. And just think of that experience as a buyer. You now are getting proactively led on a journey, proactively supported on that. Yep. And Todd, final word for you on this. I think of discussions you and I actually have been in in our careers where we, you know, over the years, jointly at times, where you would say, All right, how can we actually support and, and, and take that outside in approach of an interaction and now take the insight and support? that from an ops that engagement to a proactive measure right proactive management proactive insight yep that is ultimately where the nirvana is and that's where teams go i can't get enough of my ops team yep get to helping them see what to do tomorrow
1: right and i think that that's that's i love that because it comes back to exactly what i said about the hour by hour day by day uh lead measures are are going to give you much more actionable and insightful data and I think what you what I sense you're touching on is novel data in some in a lot of circumstances right because we've all been in those interactions mostly customer service and certainly in sales where you can actively tell that someone is just working through the script and going through to to the next the next best action based on a script that was written say three years ago and every rep is following the exact same procedure because someone determined that this was the one that provided maximum value to the organization. And I think there was a time and a place for that, but I think we're in a world where rather than that plan being developed and built based on a model that is now sort of uh, antiquated, and we're now moving into a, a, a place where uh, there is novel data available that can be pushed, and it, it's not even it's not even something that was on someone's radar. So they're in an interaction with a client, trying to sell them on a, on a particular uh, a particular direction or a particular product. and the the system is able to recognize the status of the interaction, potentially sort of verbal cues available to them or uh, any type of other action on the client end. And those insights could provide a push to to a rep or either customer service rep could be a service side certainly on the rev ops side makes sense as well but the the novel insights that we can get from that machine learning protocol i think is is an absolute game changer because then it actually creates a more human connection right and that's what i i largely hate about those scripted interactions is like i could say anything to you and like you're just going to go to the next point on this script you're not hearing me i don't feel a sense of personal connection whereas if if the uh, if we get those more novel insights, then we're really sort of hitting to the bone of, of what that person needs, what they're saying and creating more human connection. And people buy from people like this. That's one of the strongest and sort of earliest adages that I always understood in, in, uh, in the sales side of things. And if you can make that interaction more human, I think that everyone will benefit from that client as well as the sales rep. I think you just summarized perfectly
0: Howard's point of view on revenue science and, and the importance of real time there. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Todd. Look, it has been wonderful. I could go on all day with you, but unfortunately, we're out of time. You know, Hopefully, we'll see you again on here. And I would encourage any of our audience members to reach out to Todd. He's one of the strongest ops people I know, great mind in terms of uh, some of the go-to-market strategies as well. Todd,
1: fantastic to have you with us. How does everybody get a hold of you as well? You can go to uh, find me on LinkedIn, Todd Kane, or uh, easiest link just to remember or type in is a business.com. tend to focus more on the IT side of the house, but it's just a quick, simple URL. You can find me there. IT is a business. I love it. Thank you so much, Todd. Thanks, Al. And
0: please remember to like and subscribe our uh, podcast as always, and feel free to phone in with questions. You can reach us at 323-540-4777. That's 323 540 4, 7, 7. Todd, thanks again. Wonderful. And everybody have a great day. <music>